This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Indian Economy Explained. The agriculture sector is the primary source of livelihood to nearly 70% of the country's 1.3 billion people and accounts for around 15% of the 2.7 trillion dollar economy. On 27 September 2020, President Ramnath Kovind gave assent to the controversial farm bills. The Farmers Produce Trade and Commerce Promotion and Facilitation Bill 2020, the Farmers Empowerment and Protection Agreement of Price Assurance and Farm Services Bill 2020, and the Essential Commodities Amendment Bill 2020. The government claims these acts will transform Indian agriculture and attract private investment. The Farmers Empowerment and Protection Agreement on Price Assurance and Farm Services Act 2020 provides for contract farming. The second act the government believes the Farmers Produce Trade and Commerce Promotion and Facilitation Act 2020 liberates farmers by giving them the freedom to sell anywhere. However, the farmers across the country are against the provisions of these farm bills and have expressed apprehensions. The agitating farmers unions believe that the laws will end the mandi system and leave farmers at the mercy of corporates. They also said that the changes in the essential commodities act will promote hoarding. If you are finding it hard to understand the nuances of these reforms, you are not alone. Since India's independence, India has had reforms in agriculture starting with the green revolution. Hi, I'm Kunika Balhotra, research and communications officer for Suno India. and a host for this episode of Indian Economy Explained. To provide more context to agricultural reforms, I spoke to CSE Sekhar. He is currently professor at the Institute of Economic Growth and former honorary director at Agricultural Economics Research Center, University of Delhi, India. I started by asking Professor Sekhar about the role of agriculture in Indian economy. So, actually agriculture in terms of uh, its share to gdp it has continuously been uh, declining in that sense actually it's not much it, it's less than uh, 15% as of today but uh, as an employer or rather a sector which employs uh, a sizable number of people uh, it's a very important sector in that sense right now the estimates suggest that it's around 45% of the people are directly uh, engaged in agriculture as cultivators as labor and but if you put together all the sectors which are dependent which have backward and forward linkages with agriculture that goes to anywhere between 65 and 70% so that's a huge uh, uh, it, it has huge implications for other sectors also so that's the reason why agriculture is still very crucial in india in fact uh, agriculture has uh, traditionally been uh, conceptualized as a sector which has multiple roles the uh, first role is uh, to provide this uh, intersectoral growth linkages that is basically as a provider of raw materials to the industrial sector uh, for food processing for example you have food processing say sugar industry there is a edible oil industry and there is a cotton yarn the textile industry all these industries draw their raw material from agriculture so that is what is called the forward linkage then the backward linkages are those which where the inputs to the agriculture come from the industrial sector 
for example fertilizers fertilizers machine tools tractors pesticides all these industries which which actually make pesticides or fertilizers or manufacture uh, tractors they all depend on uh, the growth of agriculture for their uh, growth so that is a backward linkage that is actually you are drawing those inputs from us professor sekhar said that food provisioning is an important part of an economy food he explained is a wage good if food prices go up there will be more demand for a rise in wages the second is the food food provision see one of the important things in the growth of any economy is how cheap the wage goods are wage goods means in economic economists call them wage goods that is basically the food so when a when an industry actually manufactures something so it employs certain people labor force and those labor are paid certain wages so normally that labor uses those wages for food and also other needs food is a very essential commodity that they need all the labor who are engaged in industry like when the food becomes expensive then labor's labor wages also go up because labor also start demanding higher wages because they have to spend a lot on food then they correspondingly hike their wages that reduces our industry so that in turn affects its growth because when the profits go down industry will have less surplus to invest so agriculture has a crucial role in holding the food prices down every country tries to hold its food prices down if uh, the domestic production is unable to meet the demand of uh, the economy then they start uh, importing and that's how countries try to stabilize their food prices so food prices are not allowed to go beyond go up beyond a point so in any country that that's the most important and also it will lead to social unrest and other things Which, which can have other effects also necessary so agriculture has these two crucial roles as a, a growth engine through its intersectoral linkages number two provider of cheap food since independence india has made much progress in agriculture indian agriculture which grew at a rate of about 1% per annum during 50 years before independence has grown at a rate of about 2.6% per annum in the post independence era I asked Professor Sekhar about the reforms that have changed the agricultural sector in the country. That's a very uh, important question because in the recent context, uh, the whole discourse has taken a turn where uh, it, it seems as though as though nothing has been done for the last sixty, seventy years. That was not correct. Let me briefly explain. Immediately after independence, we started what are called the five-year plans. fire plans the first fire plans you can say fire plan so the fire plans started in the early 50s 1951 there was little focus on agriculture the most of the focus was on industrial sector but uh, towards uh, 1964 65 what happened uh, india faced two major droughts in consecutive years and uh, for political reasons united states of america has squeezed off the imports suddenly so india was importing a lot of wheat from the united states proximity with uh, russia at that time you know ussr at that time uh, did not go down well with the united states of america and they stopped our imports suddenly and uh, india became painfully aware of uh, 
the implications of depending on other countries for exposing it. So not only did they adopt this technology, but also the government put in place a uh, green revolution, uh, promote green revolution. They started, uh, first of all, they focused on really well-endowed regions. And uh, in those regions, they put in place a good uh, policy framework, which is uh, they started subsidizing fertilizers and also electricity. And uh, they started giving output support to farmers. And they also stopped imports. They, because there should not be any competition to farmers from outside the cheaper imports. Restrictions on extra kind of protection to farmers from plus output of minimum support price and procurement. So what they said is okay, there is an output price, minimum support price will be given. In case the market price falls below that, government is here to purchase that uh, all the produce that the farmers uh, bring to the market at that assured price. So farmers were assured of a price, they were given subsidies on trade. So trade competition was responded in a, a very positively. And from 1965 to 1971, in a matter of six years, India became self-sufficient in uh, food goods. That, that's a remarkable achievement. And I am not sure any other country has achieved food security in a span of just six years. And then after 1971, so slowly the Green Revolution, uh, actually first it uh, firmly entrenched in uh, Punjab, Haryana, and Andhra Pradesh, coastal Andhra Pradesh. And then during the 80s, government took more measures to diffuse this Green Revolution. Though this policy framework helped attain food security at the national level, not everyone had access to this food, Professor Sekhar said. Many sections of the population did not have enough incomes to buy adequate food. The policy pushing for green revolution technology also affected the environment. In the 90s, the government decided to reduce the subsidy burden for the farmers, during which Indian agriculture experienced the worst phase. So uh, around 96, 97, uh, government actually thought the subsidy burden was becoming a, a little excessive and they have uh, frozen uh, MSPs at the absolute level. Before that, actually, the MSPs were continuously going up and uh, around 96-97, uh, they started some reforms in MSP. Not exactly reform, but they started uh, in thought of freezing the MSPs at a particular Because of this, actually, the farmers uh, because once the MSPs are frozen, the profitability of farming uh, goes down. Uh, not only did the output decline, but also the inputs usage has also gone down uh, quite a bit across states without exception. Except credit, there is no other input which shows any uh, input during uh, increase or positive growth rate during that period between 97 and 2004. For seven, eight years, Indian agriculture uh, experienced probably the worst period uh, of growth in, in the entire history, independent uh, India. So uh, this uh, decline in growth was again uh, sought to be 
addressed through some policy initiatives around 2045. What the government did is they uh, proactively uh, promoted input usage, particularly that of uh, fertilizer. And after 2007-8, they also came up with some very uh, interesting programs. Where, uh, one is the Rashtri Krishi Vikas Yojana, and the other is the National Food Security Mission. So these two programs actually, in 2007, they were launched. So National Food Security uh, Mission was mainly intended to increase the uh, food grains, uh, the production of food grains in a mission mode in a period of uh, five years. So they targeted rice, wheat, and uh, pulses for the uh, first five years of the National Food Security Mission. The, because this was necessitated because uh, around 2008, there was a major world food crisis when the prices of uh, staple cereals went to in the world markets, they increased rapidly. And many countries around the world actually faced major hardships uh, in 2008. So India actually could withstand that because of our MSP and buffer stock policy, which we, uh, because of which we had actually accumulated a lot of grain, and we could withstand that crisis into the day. But Indian government thought that we need to proactively uh, improve our uh, food secure our food production system, and uh, for that they started this national food security mission. And the second one was basically. Uh, Agriculture, since it is varied, it's it's very heterogeneous across the country, and uh, a lot of uh, activities happen at the very local level. So, Rashtri Krishi Vikas Yojana was intended to uh, give farmers a say in planning agriculture, how to go about their agriculture in the local in a very bottom up way. They started these two programs, and these actually gave good results up to 2011 12. Professor Sekhar said that in 2014, the government, that is the BJP-led National Democratic Alliance government, did not have comprehensive agriculture reforms in the beginning of its term. They uh, started uh, uh, this initiative to double farmers' income uh, in But uh, to that end, actually, there was no comprehensive plan for the first uh, three years. <clears throat> but uh, then they started many other programs like Krishi Sinchai Yojana for irrigation, then Yojana for crop insurance. So they tried to do many things and also electronic market. And uh, so all these areas were sort of touched the first five years and uh, recently as you all are aware uh, they brought in this new agricultural uh, reform laws which basically attempt to reform the output markets that is the policy scenario so far so one of the things that uh, many agricultural economists and also economists argued was that uh, there are too many restrictions on uh, agriculture uh, in terms of marketing, in terms of uh, till recently, till the, these reforms came about in uh, 2020. So the uh, output marketing was completely controlled by AP 
MR, what is called the Agriculture Produce Marketing Regulation Act, of different states. So these APMRs are uh, actually controlled and uh, regulated output uh, uh, marketing by farmers, which in turn many uh, analysts say have uh, has adversely affected farmers, the viability of farming. During the agrarian crisis in the early 2000s, the government started a commission called the National Commission on Farmers. This was chaired by famous scientist M.S. Swaminathan. The report recommended a holistic policy for farmers. I asked Professor Sekhar about this report and its importance. M.S. Swaminathan actually, the, uh, yes, it's, it's a voluminous uh, report and uh, some of the main recommendations is that he said uh, the viability of farming needs to be ensured because uh, farming uh, is inherently a risky enterprise and uh, farmers need to be assured some kind of uh, return on their uh, investment or whatever they spend on farming. So to that end what he uh, proposed was like industrial products. In industrial products, what the pricing system is like, if you incur a cost of say 100 rupees in manufacturing a particular product, then you add your margin and profit margin and other uh, margins to that and you price the product accordingly. In the same way, whereas in agriculture, that's not the thing. Although farmer incurs a cost, so he, he incurs a cost of say 100 rupees, he cannot say, I'll sell it only at 125 rupees or 170 rupees. So, uh, I mean, if the, there's no demand because all the farmers get the produce, they're harvested at the same time and all of them come to the market at the same time. So if there is no demand in the market, so the price is plunged. They may be way below 100 rupees. They may be, if the uh, it's not a good year, if because of some drought or something, there is a, uh, supply the market is less, then the prices may be way above 150. So the point is basically, it, it's not linked to his cost of production. So what Swaminathan suggested is that we should have at least 50% above the cost of production. If he incurs a cost of 100, so the price that he should get is at least 150 rupees. This is the first thing. Number two, he also uh, recommended one of the very important things which, which many people are uh, not uh, taking into account in this recent discourse is that he said the market density in the country needs to be increased because in the uh, actually he recommends that for every 80 square kilometers you should have one APMC Monday. Whereas right now the national average is 487 square kilometers. You can well imagine 80 square kilometers he has recommended. 487 is the current average. And some states like Punjab, which have a really good market network, they have around 115 to 120 square kilometers. You have one APMC. So Punjab, Haryana, and coastal Andhra Pradesh, they have a good market network, but the rest of the states do not have. This is another thing that he has. So his main recommendations are that one should uh, focus on uh, giving good supply of inputs. Number two, market, actually his price should be 150% uh, of his cost of production. And uh, 
Third is the market network. He should have adequate avenues, particularly closer to the point of production. The market uh, outlet should be available as close to the uh, point of production as possible. At least 80 square kilometers, you should have one APMC. But uh, these are some of the major regulations. So since you mentioned APMC mandis, could you tell me about MSP and APMC mandis and their role in the agriculture sector? Uh, yeah, in the recent past, uh, in this uh, current discourse, you must have seen a lot of uh, writings on APMC not continuing because of which the MSP also may not continue. I think let me at the outset clear this confusion. Uh, MSP, procurement and APMC are not linked. Uh, let me tell you very clearly what MSP is what procurement is. MSP is an assured price which the government uh, decides based on the cost of cultivation of farmers. So what we do is, for, suppose there is paddy. So this one, uh, say 10 states. So they take the cost of production and cost of cultivation. Cost of cultivation is cost per unit uh, land. Cost of production is cost per unit output. So either way you can calculate cost. Okay, they take these costs from all these 10 states and they arrive at a weighted average of that. So that cost plus they add certain margins to that. And they say that this is the minimum support price that paddy farmers should get. Now, such minimum support price is fixed for 23 crops. But the procurement is done only for major crops, that is rice and wheat. So once the MSP is announced, who will buy at that MSP? It is the responsibility of the government to buy it. Because private sector will not, uh, if you fix a price of say 500 rupees for some crop, private sector, if it finds profitable, only then they will buy. Otherwise, they will not buy. So it's the government's responsibility to uh, ensure that the farmer gets the same He explained that this system started during the 1960s for the public distribution system. The food grains are subsidized for the poor. The system took care of both consumers and producers. The agricultural produce marketing committees serve as a completely different purpose. APMC is just a geographical location where the trade happens. So in 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 1960s when uh, when suddenly uh, because of the green revolution technology and other things because the, uh, when the crop uh, production started increasing then there needed to be some regulation in the market otherwise all the traders may actually uh, collude and depress prices for farmers and they can, they may buy and hold it. Uh, so with these regulate market uh, transactions, states were given the authority to formulate certain regulation acts. So that's when this APMR, what is called the Agricultural Produce Marketing Regulation Acts came into place in the 60s. So under APMR, each state, what it did is if uh, in each state, they have formed APMCs, Agricultural Produce Marketing Committees. In each state, there are several marketing committees. And each marketing committee has a certain notified area under its jurisdiction. So in that jurisdiction, the APMC can frame all the rules. And, and APMC had mainly two responsibilities. The first is 
provide infrastructure to farmers and traders who come to trade in that APMC Monday. Number two, ensure fair trade practices. So these are the two responsibilities of APMC. So to pro provide infrastructure, the APMC, the APMC Mondays also had the authority to collect certain charges because they needed to provide infrastructure. So they had to somehow have, have some revenue generation also. So to that end, they started uh, charging what is called a Monday fee, Monday fee and commission. Then to ensure that fair trade happens in these markets, uh, they needed to weed out certain unscrupulous traders or fly-by-night operators. So to do that, they introduced what is called a licensing system. So any trader, anyone who, who just cannot come into Monday and cannot start trading. So he has to apply for a license, he has to get a license, he is a licensed trader and then he can start operating in the Monday. So these were the mechanisms which were evolved to uh, basically made these two objectives of uh, ABMC. These actually worked pretty well for 20, 30 years, almost like from 60 to early, late 80s, you can say, actually this, this system worked quite well, particularly in these green revolution states of Punjab, Haryana, and Pradesh. But what happened over a period of time is because each APMC had certain notified area, and traders had to get a license to operate in that uh, APMC. So if a trader wanted to operate in another Monday, APMC Monday, then he had to get a separate license and he had to pay the fee again. So as you, uh, if a trader wanted to operate in the entire state, he had to get multiple licenses, he had to pay fee at multiple places. So as a result, the transaction cost of the traders also increased. And the traders started focusing on one particular Monday. They did not, they did not so go to other Mondays. Professor Sekhar also explained how this act led to the fragmentation of markets within the states. The crucial link in this system were commission agents called Ertiyas. The commission agent has been a part of Punjab's agriculture system for decades. Many of them are third or fourth generation agents. The agents registered with the market board act as middlemen between farmers and purchasers. They set up shops in the local grain markets. When the farmers bring in their produce, in case the purchaser is non-governmental entity, the agents conduct an auction and sell it to the highest bidder. Because every farmer cannot actually bring his uh, produce from his uh, village to the APNC Monday, which is very far off. So what farmers do is, uh, they give it to a person called Arthia. This Arthia collects all the uh, produce from all the farmers, brings it to the market, and then sells it to the trade. So this Arthia is a very crucial link. He's also called commission agent. He's, there are various names in different scales. So this guy is a very important link in the entire system. And he also provides credit to farmers because farmers have many, apart from farming and production requirements, they also have needs for credit for their uh, social functions. For example, they have to perform, a farmer has to perform uh, marriage of his daughter, or there is a health exigency at his home. For which, for these uh, uh, necessities, he cannot get a loan from a bank or a cooperative society. So he has to fall back upon this commission agent and also the local input uh, 
healer like Patel, trader, and so on. So this Arthia becomes a very crucial. The Arthias became very powerful over a period of time. So over a period of time, what happened is that these traders were entrenched in the system, these Arthias, and also the APMC. There was a sort of a collusion and they started uh, actually uh, depressing one for the price for the farmers. And also number two, they also prevented other players from coming into the market. So that sort of led to lack of competition in these APMCs. So this, this uh, system somewhat degenerated in the late 80s and it became uh, acutely uh, uh, unmanageable towards the turn of the century. And there are many commissions and committee reports and uh, many uh, study reports and also there, are, uh, there is scholarly work, academic work also. Almost there is a unanimity in literature on the negative uh, role of APMC in the debate. In fact, in the recent uh, Parliamentary Standing Committee, which, which gave its report in 2019, in fact, in, in December 2019, uh, the Parliamentary Standing Committee is scathing in its uh, criticism of APMCs. Uh, Parliamentary Standing Committee is a multi-party committee. It's not just one party. It, it has members from across uh, the political spectrum. And it was very scathing in its uh, criticism of the functioning of the APMCs. And not only the, uh, the academic uh, work or the parliamentary, even the farmers actually in 2019, if you have uh, seen just before the general elections, all the farmer unions have brought out what is called a freedom for farmers manifesto just before the elections. They wanted to put out their own list of demands for all the political parties to take note of. And that freedom for farmers manifesto, they were exactly demanding things that have been done recently with Gandhi in September. Uh, yeah, that, that's the, so there is there are no two views about the reform for APMCs, but uh, what is the way to go about it? There, uh, people can have uh, differences about it. The RBI report 2020, released on August 25th, stated that the agriculture and allied activities with a real gross value added growth of 4% in 2019 to 2020 benefited from record production of food grains as well as commercial and horticulture crops, and that the contribution of agriculture to overall economic growth surpassed that of the industrial sector for the first time since 2013 and 2014. I asked Professor Sekhar about this economic growth in the sector. So, uh, in fact, there are many reasons for that. If, if you look at the, uh, one of the main reasons is that your, uh, whether the, the monsoon has been quite favorable in the last few years. Number two, if you see the agriculture sector, actually agriculture sector is conceals the aggregate picture in the agricultural sector actually conceals uh, many things. If you look at uh, the agriculture sector, the crop sector has not been doing very well. And the growth rate is hovering between, in, the, in fact, if you see the last two years, it is 4% and minus 1%. It's going up and down. But what is actually growing is a livestock and fisheries sector. 
the fishery sector has been growing between uh, around 12 to 14% and livestock sector between 7 and 8%. So these are the sectors which are really have been doing really well uh, in India. So, uh, but actually one or two years good growth rates need not uh, lead to a lot of optimism that we have to wait and see because uh, the structural uh, issues with agriculture still remain the same because even today our agriculture has only around 45% uh, of uh, area is irrigated and 55% is really unirrigated. That's one thing. Number two, if you see the output uh, which, which comes in these two seasons, Kharif and Rabi. Rabi is a more assured kind of a production because it's all under irrigated pockets, mainly wheat in Punjab and Haryana. That is uh, more under assured irrigation. So that has been quite good. But Kharif, we will have to wait and see how it, how it goes. So we had a better growth, but I don't really uh, attach much uh, significance to that. This is a very short-term development. It has to continue for, and unless we improve our irrigation facility and also the market outlets for farmers, particularly for the crop sector. But the point is that to be sustainable, actually we need to improve that irrigation and particularly market history. So according to you, what measures can be undertaken by the center and the state governments to boost the rural economy and the agricultural activities in the long term? That's a very good question. Because uh, till today, uh, even now, actually, uh, what is missing is that uh, the realization that agriculture is a very important component of the larger rural economy. So that, that's, that's something that is missing. Whenever we uh, talk about rural economy, we almost exclusively think of it agriculture, but agriculture is only a part of the rural economy, there's a much larger. Within agriculture, uh, I think these recent reforms in marketing are extremely important, very good steps in my view. But having said that, it's only a necessary condition, they need not uh, yield the desired results because of the following reasons. Because the farmer, as I've already said, he's, he's uh, tied to these uh, functionaries like Arthia and other people in many ways through his credit requirements and other things. And uh, because he doesn't have much access to institutional credit, so he has to keep depending, he has to continue uh, depending on these uh, functionaries. Then even if he has a chance to market his produce within the state or outside the state as these laws are uh, it is, uh, saying, I don't think he'll be able to exercise that right because he's very much constrained. So what needs to be done? The first thing is the credit access to the farmers need to be enhanced. One, that needs to be, that's a very important thing. Credit access to, for consumption needs, consumption needs. That is where most of the requirements of farmers and labor. As for, yeah, actually another thing which Swaminathan Commission has reported, uh, recommended, is that there should be a rural uh, agricultural market that is uh, it's called a rural hot kind of which is called a weekly market or something. So those need to be developed. 
right now this recent laws what have they have done is for apmc they have created another uh, some competition through private traders but they need to extend that and improve the rural agricultural hearts in our uh, country there are nearly 250000 village panchayats so even if you think there should be one uh, market for each village panchayat in fact the number of villages is much larger it is 6 and 1/2 lakhs so village panchayat is a slightly larger form so uh, if you have uh, uh, 200 1/2 lakhs uh, gram panchayat so you should have at least uh, one market for each panchayat then you need to have 2.5 lakh villages uh, as of now as of today india has only 22500 even those are not in uh, good shape the infrastructure is really poor and dilapidated the government needs to immediately focus on this they have uh, started a scheme which is called gramin agricultural marketing scheme under which they have uh, set aside some money but i think there are no serious efforts that are being made in that direction so the gramin these gramin hearts this at least this 22500 hearts uh, the infrastructure needs to be improved these are the things that need to be done within agriculture sector but outside the agriculture sector uh, right now we have uh, two important ministries agriculture and rural development rural development has many uh, important programs like manrega uh, isma rural employment guarantee and then there is a gramin sadak yojana and this is gramin and there is another important program called national rural livelihood special which which basically looks at uh, uh, self help group formation of women in villages and uh, helping them to take up some livelihood activities that is the national rural livelihood gramin sadak yojana is basically meant for providing uh, road network to all the villages so what is right now happening is that there is no synergy between what is needed for agriculture and what the rural development is there is no alignment of these activities and huge money is being spent in fact i was uh, recently on a uh, on a review mission for rural development what struck me is that there is no input uh, there is no alignment of activities between these two crucial uh, ministries when i say this let me explain a little so we have suppose a pulses growing district really good pulses growing district and in that district actually the markets uh, the market uh, the road network towards the apmc market can be taken up under the manrega road laying and improving the market structure or maybe those things can be assigned to manrega number 2 in, in such a district there can be a dal mill which can be actually operated by these rural women right now these rural women these self help groups what they are doing is some other activities like basket making or else which is which is not linked to the local agricultural activity local agricultural produce should be made use of in the livelihood activities so this dovetailing of activities between agriculture and rural development ministry will go a long way in creating synergies 
and then the money also this huge uh, sums of money that are being spent in these two ministries can be better used so this is an extremely important uh, thing that uh, that needs to be done this three credit then uh, actually improving the rural uh, markets or village markets and third is dovetailing agriculture and rural development activities these are extremely Please rate our podcast and leave a comment if you like it. Underreported and underrepresented stories can become mainstream only if it reaches more people. So please support us by visiting our contributing page on our website sunoindia.in or follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram.